Well, good morning once again. We are continuing this morning uh, in the book of Proverbs. This is a, a study that we've been doing all summer long. Uh, we've got a few more weeks of it, even this summer before the fall kicks off. And we've been looking at the way that God has instructed us to live, right? The book of Proverbs is filled with wisdom, meaning how to skillfully navigate life. That's what wisdom is, right? It's applied Knowledge, And so the Lord has given us this book of Proverbs and he's spoken into a lot of aspects of our life, right? We've talked about the way that we speak. We've talked about the way uh, that maybe we parent or the way that we build friendships, that we talk about diligence. We've talked about all these different areas where the Lord is essentially giving us instruction because God wants us to live the best life, right? God wants our best, that he has our best interests at heart. And so he has given us the book of Proverbs, which is a collection of these just quick and punchy statements that are easy to understand and easy to apply, right? It's immediately understandable and it's immediately applicable. That's what the book of Proverbs is meant to be. It's not something that we have to sit and really think about too deeply because God makes it so clear, so evident of how we put these principles into practice. And so this morning, we're looking specifically at what God says about our work. And what we find in the book of Proverbs and what we see really all throughout scripture is that work is in fact created by God. That work is not an accident. It's not circumstantial. It's, it's not just something that shows up. It's not a necessary evil. But work is actually something that is good. It is something that God created in Genesis 1 that he gave to Adam and Eve. He gave them purpose. He gave them work. But in Genesis 3, we see that that work was broken. We see that even though God made work in Genesis 1, that sin made work hard in Genesis 3. And so there's a part of us that, that shies back maybe from work, or there's a part of us that, that holds work in, in the wrong type of uh, importance or value in our lives, whether we think of it too highly or too lowly. But what we see in Scripture, again, just over and over again, and especially in Proverbs, is that work is important, that it is created by God, and that God cares, therefore, about our work. And this is why God gives us work, even today. Whether we are in a vocation, whether we're pursuing academics, uh, whether we are just have relationships in our life uh, that are important, we're raising kids or we're, we're helping with parents, like we all have work in our lives. Sometimes we get paid for it, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we get gratitude, thanks for it, many times we don't. But, but God has given us work because he knows that work is important for us, that at its best, work is fulfilling and meaningful. But because of sin, Work can also be frustrating and it can feel meaningless. And so that's what Proverbs is going to be addressing this morning, is that for every single one of us, we have an opportunity to experience God's best design, to use God's wisdom as we work. And this is good because as I said, we all have work in different areas of life. And sometimes that work, it feels inconvenient or it feels unexpected. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, I was with a small team from Southwood. We were traveling to North Africa to our partner location over there, and we were going to a few staff and some elders. We were sharing and teaching uh, the long-term staff there kind of some principles about leadership and, and, and teamwork and talking about biblical communication uh, because we want to equip and encourage our long-term staff that's over there uh, ministering to a very hard Location. They're sharing the name of Jesus with people who've never heard it. 
And so as we were preparing to go, uh, we had a great travel plan. Man, it was just like lined up. We had detailed people that were bringing it all together. Like, you show up this time, you go there, you go there, you have this layover, that thing. It was a great plan. And even as a team, we were like, okay, this first flight that we have, we're flying from Houston to Paris. It's about a 10 hour flight. And so when we're leaving like late afternoon, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna sleep, we're just we're gonna try to take a nap on the plane, right? So that when we get to the location, we'll be ready to rock. It was great, it was a great plan. And I was excited for it. I mean, I was legitimately excited for this long plane ride because uh, I'm introverted by nature and I, I enjoy solitude, I enjoy quiet. I have three small children in my home now and so uh, quiet is a valuable commodity. Like I, I, don't, I don't get that all the time. And so the thought of a 10 hour plane ride, some of us are like, oh boy, that sounds terrible. I was like, this is amazing, like this sounds great. Just like I'll put in my headphones, I'll watch a movie, I'll watch a show, I'll read a book. It's gonna be great. Like I was, I was so excited for this plane ride. And so when I got on the plane, or when we all got on the plane, uh, we hit a few snags. Uh, first off, I got moved, right? I, I had paid a little bit extra so I could sit uh, in an exit row because I'm a, I'm a long person. Uh, and so I was like, maybe if I could not have my knees just pressed against the seat in front of me, that'd be great. So I was in the exit row. They, I walked on the plane though, and they were like, oh, actually, we, we moved you to this other seat. I was like, that's okay, that's all right. They put me in the front of the section, the front section where it's like, uh, it's called bulkhead seating, right? So there's no chair in front of me. There's just a wall. Uh, but I was like, this is fine. And I was right next to, uh, turned out, I was next to one of our elders who travels a lot, a guy named Chris White. He's awesome. He's one of our elders and he travels a lot for his work. And so he like had gotten the seat. He's like, oh, this is great. This is a great spot to be. And so we were in this three, you know, three seats in a row. It was just the two of us. And so Chris was like, this is perfect. Like the doors closed on the planes. So we're like, no one else is coming on. Chris is like, God is good, right? He has seen his servant and he has blessed us because there was a full flight. He's like, but there, somehow there was an empty seat between us. And I was like, oh man, this is amazing, right? And we'd already agreed like, we're not gonna talk to each other, right? And Chris was like, yes. And I was like, perfect, right? So we, we were just ready to be silent uh, neighbors on this 10 hour flight. We had it all lined up, doors were closed. And then a flight attendant came up and she was like, uh, excuse me, is he speaking to me? It's Air France, so, excuse me, oh, pardon. Uh, she goes, I need you to move over one seat because we have this mom and her 15-month-old uh, daughter uh, there on the flight, but we need to set up a bassinet for her, right? This little portable crib. And we attach it to the wall at the bulkhead. And so like, we, so you, we need you to sit next to this guy and we'll put the bassinet on the wall so that her baby can sleep. Yeah, okay. And so, uh, so this mom and her daughter come up and sit with us. And I, I'm, to be honest, I was like pretty frustrated. Like in that moment, I was like, oh, this world is broken by sin, right? Like this is, this is it. Like I know that this is just, this is reality of the depravity of man that, that we have this situation occurring. Uh, and it was a little intimidating because the mom was super worn out. She had like, she'd, They'd had a terrible, I mean, just like they'd been delayed for like 30 hours. She'd been up for like 36 hours. Uh, she had this 15-month-old daughter. They're trying to get to Sweden. She was Swedish. And she was like, we just need to get to Sweden. And I was like, I get it. And so uh, they were so like just worn out that Chris and I, the, the dad hearts in us just broke. And we're like, okay, this is good. Like, let's, we wanna help, right? We wanna help out this mom. We wanna help her with her daughter. Nova was the girl's name. And so we were like, we're gonna just, hang out with Nova, and we did for the whole 10-hour flight. 
And so even though we had this plan, even though we had all this lined up, we actually spent, I didn't watch a single show, I didn't watch a movie, I didn't take a nap. We just hung out with Nova for 10 hours. And so when the mom needed to rest, we let her rest. When she was eating, I was like, let me take her. You know, I picked up Nova, we walked around the plane a bit. Uh, we were playing games with her the whole time, hiding stuff in pillowcases, because what else can you do on a plane? And so we just, we hung out with Nova, and the mom was so appreciative, right? She was so grateful. She, she literally, she took our picture with Nova, sent it to her husband. She's like, we did the best. And so uh, I have a place to stay in Sweden now if I ever need it. Uh, let me know if you're going there. I can connect you uh, with some locals. But it really was like, even though they're on the front end, it was a little disheartening and I was kind of disappointed, pretty frustrated. Over time, what I actually saw was that the Lord, he gave us that work and it actually was so enriching. It was so fulfilling. It was so satisfying to get to step in just for that short amount of time and serve this mom who'd been having a rough, rough travel. And it's times like that in our lives that that work just shows up. And we have a temptation to shy away from it, or we have a temptation maybe to, to not really think about, to diminish the dignity or the value of that work, whether it's in a actual job, workplace, maybe it's in our academic career, maybe it's at home with our family. But in all of those spheres, work is important and it is given to us by God. It's not accidental. It's not an afterthought. Work is actually good and there is dignity in the work that God gives to us. Tim Keller uh, wrote this book called Every Good Endeavor. It's a wonderful kind of walkthrough of work and the life of a believer. And in that book, he says that in Genesis, we see God as a gardener. And in the New Testament, we see him as a carpenter. And what we see in that, right, is that no task is too small a vessel to hold the immense dignity of work given by God. God cares deeply about our work. God is a worker. And so we, made in his image, should reflect his character and reflect his attitude by working well and working with his wisdom guiding us. So what does a wise worker look like? Well, in the book of Proverbs, we have two kind of key principles that we're gonna address this morning. The first is that if we work with wisdom, we're gonna live with perspective. That the wise worker is someone who sees all of life kind of with an eternal perspective in mind. We're gonna live a balanced life work and rest life. The other thing we see in the life of the wise worker is it's someone who works with perseverance, who works with diligence, commitment, and excellence, regardless of the difficulties or the discouragements that may come up. All right, so the first thing we see, this idea of living with perspective, we see this addressed in Proverbs chapter 25, starting in verse 16. So if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to turn there, Proverbs 25. 16, we're gonna end, we're gonna jump all over the book of Proverbs. We're gonna end up in Proverbs, or sorry, in Colossians chapter three, just so you know. But we're starting in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 16. It's a great place to turn because we'll be in 24 here in a little bit. But 25, 16 tells us this, that you have found honey. Eat only what is sufficient for you, lest you become stuffed with it and vomit it up. So there we go. Right, that's uh, instantly understandable, immediately applicable. Um, This is uh, not all about honey consumption, right? This is not a proverb that's just talking about honey. I mean, it's it's probably wise, right? Like, so maybe when you go home, don't just start ladling honey barrels into your mouth. Don't don't pull the Winnie the Pooh mode. Uh, We're not meant to live that way. We also need to wear pants, unlike Winnie. But uh, we are see here this principle with honey as the example, with honey as the picture, that, that too much of a good thing 
is not best, right? That's the principle, that too much of a good thing is not actually best. That even honey, right? The proverb, God's not saying that honey is wrong, that it's bad. He's not saying like, cursed is the bee who produces this thing. Like that's not his point. Honey is good, but he says, but if you consume it in excess, if you get stuffed, it's gonna lead you to vomit. It's not gonna lead you to what actually is best. This is true for our lives, that we need balance. We need perspective, whether it's uh, good things like relationships or responsibilities or work, right? These are good things or good things like rest. Any of those things in excess are unhelpful and unhealthy. And so the reality is that we think a lot of times of like the best life or the free life is just the absence of all boundaries. We think of freedom being just the absence of all boundaries when the reality is that the best life, the, the freest life is one that actually accepts the right boundaries. The true freedom is not the absence of boundaries, it's the acceptance of the right boundaries. And so God in his wisdom has given us some guidelines. He's kind of laid out these curbs for us He's given us instruction. He's given us the law. Like he's given us these ways to live and he set these boundaries because that's actually where freedom and health and satisfaction are found. It's not freeing to just release someone from all obligations or all you know, responsibilities or, or, or boundaries. It's, it's not freeing. You know, it's, that's the idea of if I free the fish from water, like I take the, you're free now, right? Like it's, that's not... Actually, what's gonna be best for that fish? If you free an airplane from the laws of aerodynamics, like that's not good. Like that plane will not stay in flight. If I take a small child and I free them from the ground, right? Like that's not gonna end well for them. Freedom is accepting the right boundaries. God has given us these boundaries and part of that boundary is he has given us a rhythm of work and rest, right? A rhythm of work and rest and they should be held in balance. This is what I mean by living with perspective. But that balance is not 50-50. Many times when we think about something being balanced, we think, oh, it's completely equal on this side and that side. That's not always how balance works. Uh, Tim Keller, again, he speaks to this. He says that work is so foundational to our makeup that it's one of the few things we can take in significant doses without harm. Indeed, the Bible does not say we should work one day and rest six, or that work and rest should be balanced evenly but directs us to the opposite ratio. Leisure and pleasure are great goods, but we can take only take so much of them, right? Too much of that honey makes me vomit. This is the instruction that God gave his people in Exodus 20. When he's giving them the law through Moses, he tells them to remember the Sabbath day, to set it apart as holy. For six days you may labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. It's a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you should not do any work. Right? So often we read this commandment, one of the 10 commandments, and we focus on the rest side, and that it is important. But we should note that God's not just addressing rest, he's addressing work. He says, you have this day that's set aside unto the Lord. He says, but you also have six days that are there for your work, for your diligence, for your pursuits. So do your work in those days and then have your rest on that Sabbath. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and, that all, and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he set it apart as holy. 
And we see that as the Lord in the creation account, Genesis 1 and 2, when God is making all things, he didn't need to rest, right? It's not that God was tired or worn out, that his tank was empty, but instead God is giving us a model, an example to follow. That work is good and so is rest. And so we need both of them to reflect the character of God and to have a life that is healthy and sustainable. We need work and we need rest. And so often we confuse maybe what the ratio should look like. Maybe we think, oh, I just, I, maybe sometimes we think I gotta work all the time. Like if I'm not working, I'm dying, right? Like I gotta get these things done. I'm always thinking about work. I'm always doing work. Uh, that's not good. That's not healthy. It's not what the Lord presented to us as a model. In the same way, leisure, right? That's not the ultimate goal. Even if we're looking at like retirement, like that's great. Retiring is, is good, but in that rest, in that you know, separation, in that exiting of a vocation, whether it's retirement or whether it's a weekend or a holiday, like that rest needs to still be active. It still needs to be thoughtful and intentional. When the Lord rested on the seventh day, he admired all of creation. We're told in Genesis 1 that he looked at creation. He says, this is good, right? He was appreciating and acknowledging and, and contemplating the goodness of the work that he had already completed. And our rest should be the same. It can't just be a thoughtless endeavor. It can't just be a distraction because that's not truly restful. But instead, we should be thoughtful and thankful in our rest. Joseph Piper, a Christian you know, theologian uh, and writer, he, he wrote about contemplation in the life of a Christian. He talks about leisure and rest in the life of a Christian in one of his books. And he says, who among us has not suddenly looked into his child's face? in the midst of the toils and troubles of everyday life. And at that moment, seen that everything which is good is loved and is lovable, is loved by God. He says there's moments of clarity that God gives to us. He's speaking here specifically to parents, but it's true for all of us, that there are moments of clarity where we realize, wow, there's more to life than this little trouble here. There's more to life than this toil and this trial that I'm enduring that God is at work, that God has blessed me in these different ways. In this case, he's talking about, right, the eyes of your child. And this is something I've experienced where, where things are hard or difficult, maybe with work or maybe with certain relationships, but there's something about being with your children and looking them in the eye and recognizing God has given me an incredible gift, an incredible gift. And you don't have to be a parent to do that. You can grab, you know, your roommate and just look in their eyes. No, no, But you can have moments of clarity where you contemplate and reflect upon how God has blessed and worked in your life. And what Joseph says is that these certainties all mean that at the bottom, one and the same thing, that the world is plumb and sound, that everything comes to its appointed goal, that in spite of all appearances, underlying all things is peace, salvation, gloria, that nothing and no one is lost, that God holds in his hand the beginning, the middle, and the end of all that is. This is a truth that is presented to us in scripture. It's a truth that we more clearly see when we pause and think and rest. And we contemplate what God has accomplished in our lives or in the lives of those we love. And this is true, meaningful, wise rest. Wise rest is thoughtful and it is thankful. 
And so I would encourage you as you consider your calendar and your commitments, that you make sure that when you rest, you are actually being thoughtful and thankful in that time, right? Distractions are abundant and always accessible. You can watch that sport game, you can watch that show, you can play that thing, you can do that stuff. Like, and, and none of those things are bad, or right? it's not wrong to take a nap, it's not wrong to watch a basketball game. Those things can be part of our rest, for sure. But we need to make sure that those things are in conjunction with a thoughtfulness and a thankfulness, because otherwise, we're wasting that rest, right? Refusing to rest is prideful. Wasting rest is foolish. I've heard it described before that, that when we think about our, our energy and, and when we need to rest, we can think of ourselves as you know, like a, an engine, like a car. And you've got that fuel tank, right? And everything is relying upon that fuel tank being full, the, the gas in that tank. And there's some times where we think, uh, when we think of rest, we just wanna like, pull off to the side and just turn off the car. And that's good, right? Like we, we turn off the car, we're not burning any fuel in that moment. That's good. Or we put the car in idle, we're burning such little fuel. Okay. But there's a big difference between turning off the car and not burning fuel versus pulling up to a pump and actually filling that tank. Because one will actually sustain us. The other simply kind of holds off the disaster. The other is simply prolonging our time before the crash. And so when we think about our rest, we need to be intentional and mindful that we need things that actually fill our tank, not just things that turn off our engine or turn off our brain. We need rest that is, that is meaningful and is refreshing, that is recharging. And so often that is rest that is in some ways active where we're creating something or we're thinking about something different. We're playing with our kids. We're spending time with our spouse or our loved ones. We, we have this time that we're not just like a blob like laying on the floor. I mean, maybe a little bit. That's okay if you have kids like me. But if you really think about the best rest in your life, I guarantee you it involves some form of activity, of mindfulness, of intentionality, of reading something that you really enjoy, of, of, of being a part of a hobby or an activity, of playing a sport or something. And so for us, that, that's really crucial. That's what brings sustainability. That's what's, that's what's healthy for us is that we would have rest where we are thoughtful, where we are thankful to the Lord. I mean, ultimately, as followers of Christ, we need to make sure that in our rest that we are reflecting on the glory of the Lord, that that is what's restful, to tap into eternity, so to speak. And this is something that we see not just in the creation account, we see this play out in the life of Christ. Right? Jesus Christ had the most important work of anyone ever, and when Jesus was in that work, as he was fulfilling that work, yeah, he worked really, really hard. He worked really hard and he would burn the midnight oil at times. Like there were times where he would heal and, and teach all through a night and then he'd just keep going the next day. And he worked really hard. There were also times in Jesus' ministry where he rested, where he pulled away. And, and there were times where Jesus recognized, hey, I have taken on humanity and I have these limitations and I'm gonna accept the constraints of humanity, and I'm going to model what it looks like to have a healthy work and rest rhythm. And we need to take that to heart. It's something that we should walk in. Because if we are using the wrong kind of rest, again, it's just, 
It brings ruin. It's gonna mess us up. It's not gonna fill our tank. Uh, it's not gonna sustain us. Uh, we're gonna be that guy who comes back from the family vacation and says, I need a vacation from my vacation. You know what I mean? Like that's, and that's not the goal. That's not the goal. We don't wanna be that. We wanna be people who are mindful and thoughtful about our rest. And so we need to create a rhythm. This is what I found in my life is what is most sustainable is an actual rhythm. And it can change from season to season, but we need a rhythm of rest. For me, practically, what that looks like is from basically Friday evening until Saturday evening, that's my Sabbath. Like I, I work, uh, you know, obviously Sunday mornings and then Monday through Friday, I had to put in full days because uh, even though some people here at Grace, like we'll take off part or all of Fridays, that's good if that works for them. For me personally, I, I just, I need to put in that full kind of uninterrupted day on a Friday so that I can have a 24 hour period where I'm legitimately, I'm not thinking about work. Uh, I'm not talking about work. I'm not, I'm not worried about the sermon I have in 24 hours. Like I, I have this time that genuinely is separated and protected where I'm with my wife, I'm with my kids, with my loved ones, and I'm, I'm thankful for what God has done. We need some sort of rhythm. We have control over our calendar and over our commitments. So let's use those things wisely. Let's steward that time well. And as we build in this rhythm, uh, we recognize that again, work is good, and God calls us to work hard and diligently with perseverance. This is what Proverbs 6 says, that you should go to the ant, you sluggard, and observe her ways and be wise. It has no commander, overseer, or ruler, and yet it would prepare its food in the summer. It gathered at the harvest what it will eat. So how long, you sluggard, will you lie there? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to relax, and your poverty will come like a robber, and your need like an armed man. Again, the Proverbs are very clear that when it's time to work, we work. When it's time to rest, we rest. Both are good. Both are important. And we're foolish if we take either one out of its proper place. When it's time to harvest, when it's time to work, we got it. We get into it, right? We act. We, we work. We apply diligence and perseverance. And yet there's a part of us, right? There's always a temptation for some of us that, oh, maybe I just wanna lie there a little bit longer. Maybe I just wanna a little more slumber, a little folding of my hands to relax. That's great, I'm gonna start using that in my home. Let's all just fold our hands uh, and think about what's happening. And he says what happens is when we, commit, when we are living out of balance, then that poverty, that need that you have will just come out of nowhere, like a robber on the highway, like an armed man. And all of a sudden, the procrastination catches up to you, right? All of a sudden, those things that you'd put off, they come to bear. And it's, it's a greater need and it's an urgent crisis that you've created for yourself by failing to work at the appropriate time. Proverbs 10 says basically the same thing, that the one who is lazy becomes poor, but the one who works diligently becomes wealthy. And the one who gathers crops in the summer is a wise son, but the one who sleeps during harvest is a shameful son. So it's this idea, again, Proverb is not saying that all poor people are lazy and that all wealthy people are diligent. That is not what is being stated. But what God is saying is that as a general principle and guiding mindset, we should apply ourselves diligently to our work. And in doing so, we earn reward. Maybe it's reward here on earth, but ultimately it's reward from our Father in heaven who calls us to work with excellence. He commands us in Colossians 3 that we'll get to in a minute. 
In the same way, if we are lazy, if we're slothful, uh, if we have uh, literally uh, this, this idea of being a, I believe it's, yeah, it's this one. So literally this term for lazy right here, uh, the Hebrew term is one who has a slack hand. That's what's being described. Someone whose just hand is like, right? That handshake where you're like, oh, gross. Like that's, that's what's being described. It says the one with the slack hand is the one who becomes poor. But the one who works hard, that works diligently is one who works with his hand. That's the one who actually finds wealth and profit. Because God says, I want you to work when it's time to work. In all hard work, Proverbs 14, in all hard work, there's profit. But merely talking about it only brings poverty. See, I think this is another trap that we fall into. Sometimes we just put it off. Other times, we know that the work is there and we're aware of it. And it's not that we're just distracting ourselves from it and not thinking about it. It's that we're thinking about it and that's kind of as far as it goes. And then we just sort of talk about it, right? And literally here, the Hebrew term for hard work is this exact same term that's used in Genesis 3, right? To describe the curse, the hardness of work that come, came through sin. But right here, God's not saying flee that hard work, right? Avoid that hard work. He's not saying that work, hard work is evil. Instead, he says that the hard work that is the result of sin is actually more profitable. It's more uh, desirable than the unwillingness to put in that work, the unwillingness and instead the, the temptation to just kind of sit and like, oh yeah, I've got this thing, right? And you tell like eight different people about this responsibility, this project, this hard relationship that you have. We are all tempted to fall into this at times. And yes, there's wisdom in gaining counsel and direction from other people. We've talked about that multiple times this summer. But if all we do is talk, what does it bring? Poverty. Talk is cheap. It doesn't really produce anything. And so yes, there's a wisdom in planning and preparing and discussing, but we've got to take action. We've got to take it to the next step. We can't just talk about our problems. We need to actually move towards solutions. This is the same thing in Proverbs 12. That the one who works his field will have plenty of food, but whoever chases daydreams lacks sense. Literally here, the Hebrew term for daydream that we translate as daydream, it's literally empty things. The Lord is saying that if you are just chasing after, filling your time with these empty things, you lack sense, you're unwise, you're foolish. That instead there is tangible work in front of us right now. Deuteronomy 29, 29, it's one of my favorite passages in all of scripture, where God has given this huge law to his people through Moses, and then God tells them at the 29, 29, towards the end of this you know, description of the law, it says that the secret things belong to the Lord, but the revealed things belong to us and our descendants, that we might walk in them, that we might obey the law in them. God is saying that there are hidden things that belong to me, the revealed things belong to you. And so when we see that the field needs working, we see that the crops need harvesting, we see that this relationship needs to be shored up. We see that uh, the, the need of our neighbor is evident. We see that this project is due, that this reading assignment is coming up. When these revealed things come before us, when this little 15-month-old on an airplane that I didn't really wanna hang out with shows up, we excel in that revealed thing. We work diligently in the revealed thing because we know that God has given it to us. This is an opportunity from him. Work is good and it's from the Lord. It's created by God. And if I'm spending all my time pursuing leisure and empty daydreams, I'm missing the point. 
I'm missing the point. Again, in the life of Christ, that balance is so evident. He's doing the greatest work of all. Right? He's doing the work that no, literally he's the only person ever that could have done the work that he needed to do. To step out of heaven and onto earth, to live a perfect life that none of us could live. None of us could do that work. He then died. We can all die, but he didn't die for himself. He died for all of the world. And he rose again on the third day to prove his power and victory over sin and over death, over what had held us captive. And he bought us with this enormous price of his own life so that we can be adopted in the family of God. That's the most important work that has ever been accomplished. And even in that work, Christ recognized there is time for rest. But what we don't see is him wasting or frittering away his time. It's always intentional. It's always thoughtful. So for us, we, we walk according to that model. We follow that example. And we're not put off by difficulty along the way. Tom Nelson puts it this way. He has a book on work and faith and all that. And he says, difficulties, disappointments, discouragements, and suffering are a part of every work experience. But they need not be seen as obstacles to God's purposes in our lives. This is what we read in the book of James this spring. That we can count it as joy when we face trials of many kinds. That God doesn't waste the frustrations and the difficulties of our work but that God can actually use them. So just because work is hard, doesn't mean it's wrong. <laughs> the hardness in our work, yeah, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that that is a product of sin, but God doesn't waste it. God uses that difficulty to sharpen us, to transform us. It's a part of his purpose in our life. And so for us, we work with his wisdom, and that means that we do the right thing in the right direction, right? This is kind of what we see in Proverbs. I tried to distill it. Wise work is active, and it has the right direction. Because for us, maybe sometimes we do the wrong thing, but I would say many times our work is often difficult or fails, not because we're doing the wrong thing, but we might be doing the right thing at the wrong time or in the wrong way. I see this with my kids all the time. Just yesterday, we had a time, I, my wife has been out of town, and so I gathered the kids yesterday, I was like, hey, we gotta clean up, pick up, like it's time. Like mom's gonna come home tomorrow, and I don't want her to like worry about us living in squalor. So we need to like get this, back into shape. And so everyone's like, okay, great, we got this, right? I got an eight-year-old, six-year-old, four-year-old, all hands in the middle, break. And we'll get to watch uh, uh, Puss in Boots after this. That's what, yeah, that's what we watched. All right, so, and so it's like, let's go. Let's, let's, let's accomplish this. And so in this work, I was like, we need to go, we need to pick up. So everyone start picking up their rooms. Eight-year-old, six-year-old, they start picking up their rooms, doing a great job. I check in on the four-year-old, 15 minutes into pickup time. I go into his room. There's greater chaos. Like it is, it is more disheveled and there is more stuff out than, was, than there was before. And he's playing, he's having a great time. Good for him, uh, but not quite what he was supposed to do, right? He was doing the wrong thing. It was the wrong thing. He's so cute, it doesn't matter. But still, it's the wrong thing. At the same time, yesterday we said, okay, we, got, we gotta get clean, right? Again, mom's gonna smell us and she's gonna need to know that dad made everyone clean. So he, we're doing showers and I tell our four-year-old said, okay, I've started the water for you. You can get in, you know, wash your hair, wash your body, and then be done. He's like, okay, I got it. I walk out of the bathroom. I walk back in because I forgot something, and I see him walking into the shower with his shirt on, right? No pants, so like, all right, you know, progress. But he's wearing a shirt. I'm like, bud, you gotta take your shirt off. He's like, <laughs> I forgot, right? And I was like, okay, I get it, right? Sometimes it's hard. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you just sort of forget. Uh, I was like, but... 
but you gotta take this shirt off to get in the shower, right? He's, he's doing the right thing. He's getting in the shower, but he was doing it the wrong time, in the wrong way. He didn't have the right timing down or the order of operations. For us, we need to be mindful and strategic with the way that we work. We need to be doing the right thing, but we need to be doing it the right time in the right way. And so for us, this means that we need to be thoughtful. Just as we're thoughtful in our rest, we should be thoughtful in our work because the wrong work, if we're just spinning our wheels in the wrong direction, gosh, that's exhausting, that's frustrating, and that's not what God wants for us. If we're doing the wrong thing, we're, we're planting when we should be harvesting, like that's, that's the wrong thing. We should be mindful and thoughtful. God wants us to work in a wise way, a way that is active, in a way that is in the right time, in the right way. And in doing so, God gives us meaning and fulfillment, right? Again, in every good endeavor, Tim Keller says that work is not all there is to life, but you will not have a meaningful life without work. But you cannot say that your work is the meaning of your life, right? And this is true for people in paid vocations, people that are raising a family, people that are retired. All of us have some form of, he's not just talking about a job that like gives you a paycheck. This is just any type of work. But if you make any of this work the purpose of your life, even if that work is church ministry, you create an idol that rivals God. Your relationship with God is the most important foundation for your life. And indeed, it keeps all the other factors, work, friendship, family, leisure, pleasure, all of it from becoming so important that they become addicting and distorted. So for us, we need to consider, what is the offering that I'm bringing to the Lord? How am I working? Am I, am I seeking work as its own means to its own end? Or do I recognize that all of my work is in fact for the Lord, that it's, it's a part of this relationship between myself and God that comes first. This is why Paul says in Colossians chapter three, that whatever we do, right, no matter what the responsibility, whatever it might be, whatever you're doing, work at it with enthusiasm as to the Lord and not for people. Because you know that you will receive your inheritance from the Lord as the reward. So serve the Lord Christ. Literally here in the Greek, he says, when you work at it with enthusiasm, the term here in the Greek is that you are working out of your soul. So you're putting all that you are, all that you have into this work, into this task, into this responsibility. Why? Because ultimately, it's an act of service for your God. It's an offering that you're making to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so work hard, give it your best, put all that you have into it. Be wise that you're also resting. Be wise that you're doing the right work at the right time in the right way, but make sure that you're excelling in those revealed things, working out of your soul, knowing that this is your act of service, knowing that this is your offering to the Lord, to bring him glory, to bring good to your neighbor. So as we close this morning, we're gonna be singing a final song about the worthiness of God to receive all power, all praise, that he would be the recipient of all glory and honor forever and ever. And part of us acknowledging the worthiness of God as our supreme Lord, acknowledging Christ as our supreme Savior. They're worthy not just of the songs that we sing. They're worthy not just of, you know, our hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. But they are worthy of every breath, of every endeavor, of every job, of every responsibility, of every commitment, of every relationship. As we pursue excellence, we work in these things out of our soul, knowing 
that our reward comes from heaven, knowing that our work is an offering to the God who made us, who loves us, who's given us this work, that we would walk in it for his glory and others' good. So as we prepare to sing, if you would, join me in prayer. Lord, we are thankful that you've given us, Lord, this direction to run, the God that you provide work for us so that we would find meaning and fulfillment and satisfaction in a job well done. God, we're thankful that we can reflect your character in that way. And so Lord, we just ask that as we work, as we labor, Lord, that our eyes would be on you. God, that our motivation would be right. That we wouldn't be running out of pride or out of a sense of desperation that God, that we would be grounded in our relationship with you and that out of that relationship, out of that, out of that permanent belonging, that God, that our, our work would be just a, a response of thankfulness to you, that our rest would be a response of thankfulness towards you. So if you would take this moment now and just pray to the Lord to ask him, God, show me where is it uh, that I can better commit my work for your glory and others' good. God, where am I maybe out of balance uh, in the way that I work and rest? God, where is it that maybe I'm quick to dismiss or belittle the, the task or the relationship or the responsibility that's been entrusted to my care? Ask him for that insight and then pray and ask the Lord, God, give me by the power of your spirit, Lord, the wisdom and the strength to work with diligence for your glory. Ask him for that direction. Ask him for that strength now.